0: You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the cinematographer for The Velvet Underground, Edward Lockman.
1: We have all come here together, over there, Andy Warhol. Kiss in my we have this chance
0: to combine music and art and films all together. We're sponsoring a new band. It's called The Velvet Underground.
1: And me, I'm in a rock and roll band. This was my first time in New York, and I was appalled. This place is filthy. <laughs> Cinema, money, parties—it was outrageous. People came because the cameras were running. They thought they could become famous. At the center of it is the exploding art world. It opened your eyes to a lot of possibilities. We started getting a following, but a lot of radio stations wouldn't play our stuff. The sound, not only was it new, but it was radically different. We were studying natural harmonics. Shiny, shiny. Well, his music was very heavy. Everything he does in that craggly voice of his resonated. That weirdness, it shouldn't have existed in this space. His music sounded like nothing else. And all of a sudden, it would stop like that, and the audience would be dead silent. The Velvet Underground had hypnotized them. Lou always was very clear that there's no difference between being a writer
0: of the book and a writer of lyrics.
1: The artist is not with society. He's different. I was interested in communicating to people who were on the outside. They were going to blaze a trail, oh, which eventually they did. Oh, uh,
0: Good evening. We're your local Velvet Underground. Well, Ed, thank you so much for your time today. I'm, I'm such a huge fan, so it's a, it's really a pleasure to talk with you today about the Velvet Underground. Right. We have to talk. So th- this documentary is about the Velvet Underground, of course, but it also talks a lot about the art scene in New York City that influenced the band in the mid to late 60s. You were a young adult at this time. What was your awareness of the Velvet Underground and and this art scene before jumping in to make this documentary?
1: Well, I mean, it, you're right. I was in my 20s. I mean, it was the whole art scene. It was, you know, the Mud Club and uh, Kansas City down the block. I live on 19th Street, so Kansas City was on 17th Street in part of that which is a deli now, I always work So So, uh, I mean, that's what's so interesting what Todd did with the film. There wasn't a lot of material of the Velvet Underground in performance. So what Todd's always done in all his work is he looks at the cultural influences of why and how that force got created. And Andy Warhol and the pop movement and all the experimental filmmaking that was coming out of Jonas Mikas and his his minion around him uh, was a way of showing the world that the Velvet Underground came out of as an art group, so to speak. And I mean, in a weird way, the Talking Heads was an evolution of the art group that came out which I ended up working with Todd. Um, so I was very influenced more with the experimental filmmaking at the time. I knew a lot of the experimental filmmakers. You know, there were people like Kuchar, uh, the Kuchar brothers. And I worked with Shirley Clark. And, uh, you know, there was Stan Brackage and and with certainly Jonas Mika's, And, you know, all, and all these people, you know, were it was like... A, you know, at a certain time period there was this outburst of creativity, you know, that, you know, the super eight became a medium, you know, people could independently make films. They didn't need the uh, framework of Hollywood to make independent films. So it was, and a lot of artists were experimenting with the filmmaking like Andy Warhol. So I was very aware and I, I knew, I met Andy and I, I knew, I met Nico, I knew a lot of these people. And then like in the nineties, I did songs for Drella. I directed and shot uh, this concert film that was an homage to Andy Warhol after he died. It's also like a confessional, a dirge between Andy and, and Lou and John. Which strangely enough, I'd love you to see, I found the original negative and the original sound mix and reauthorized it. And it's shown at Telluride and at the New York Film Festival now, because um, it was only a bad laser disc and it was made you know, 30 years ago for Channel 4 and initial pictures in London. So, I don't know, did I answer your question about what? Yeah,
0: yeah no, that's, that's wonderful. I, I, yeah, I just wanted to hear about your awareness of the art scene. Uh, you, you know, you often talk about the extensive research process that you put into every film that you do. What did your research process look like this time, especially having some personal awareness of this these the, the subjects and these, the, the people featured in the documentary?
1: Well, it, it, Todd does the most, right? So, I, you know, we just looked at a lot of independent films made at that time. And, uh, you know, I looked at a lot of the uh, artwork. You know, it was, some, it was familiar to me because I, was, I grew up in that period. But the other aspect of what Todd does in all of his work is he also looks at the means of how those images were created. And that, I always think, gives it the story and the texture of the world, an authenticity. So even in these interviews, we shot, I said, I said, we should shoot some super eight. So every interview I shoot some super eight of the interviewee. Um, So, and I used older lenses and older zoom and, you know, I tried to have framing that was, you know, reminiscent of like how multiple images could be used.
0: And so that was going to be one of my questions. Was the was the vision always there to have this split screen multiple images on screen the whole time? I
1: knew I knew he wanted to reference the filmmaking and the experimentation of the period. I didn't know exactly how it would come out, but I knew we were talking about multiple images. <laughs> So that allowed me to be framing in all framing, knowing that I would lose part of the frame. It would be another image. So I played with framing these static frames, knowing that that would be a aspect. And he was, you know, in looking at you know films like Chelsea Girls that use multiple images hmm. at the time. to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com/listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
0: Uh, I was curious, so much of the archival footage used is of course black and white, obviously. And yet your interviews are in color. Was there ever a discussion of making those also black and white?
1: I don't think so. I I think, you know, I I think he felt. Well, once we came up with the idea that we would play with what these litho, lithos were, you know, the Warhol silk screen lithos, um, then it, it could be color. You, you, you know, um, yeah, I, I don't think we are trying to make it arty because it was black and white. These people are now. You know, we're we're you're seeing them as they are now. And it it just it gave another element. You know that against the black and white. So it's
0: no. They look beautiful. They they look beautiful. That I was curious about that juxtaposition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've said before um, that uh, you you find documentary work to be essential to your knowledge as a DP and and you. Quote that, that I read said, A Documentary has always informed my work. Uh, You've obviously worked plenty uh, in documentary filmmaking. What is it that keeps you coming back to this medium? Uh, why is working on documentary so important to you? Well,
1: I call it the found image. You know, I started with the Maisel Brothers because the situations you're thrown in in documentary, and now more than ever in the digital world. Um, You know, where you're sitting, where the light is coming from the window there and just edging you, you know, it's, it's your eye that sees it, you know, it's, 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 I think all things are documentation, even in a narrative film, no one hits the light exactly the same. The movement of the camera is never the same to the subject, where they end up in the light is not the same. So in even in a narrative way, you're setting up a story to be documented in a certain framework, but there's a certain things live in real time. So to me, that's why all films are really documentations, if if I have actors or not, you know, but I I think I I like, I've worked with Ulrich Seidel, an Austrian director that works all with non-actors, mostly non-actors. And I, I just, how can I say it? I'm just, I respond to what's around, you know, and I, you know, the photographers that uh, Robert Frank and later Larry Clark and even today a number of photographers that I'm inspired by are are ones that are dealing with the world around them and not ones that they have to recreate you know
0: and this is uh Todd Haynes's first feature documentary Uh, what was different about your working relationship this time around with The Different medium?
1: Not so much visually. I mean, you know, he, he, somebody brought this up in a and a which was interesting, a, a similar question. And I think what he does in a narrative form is, he finds the authenticity of the image because he's research and understands the details that give the believability in the performance and in the story. And in this it was kind of the opposite. He only had certain things that you could understand that that's what was, that we're seeing because that's what existed. But what he did do is, is create the world because of the experimental filmmaking of the time that he uses his references, uh, the, the art world. So he's using other elements to kind of give the gestalt, the, uh, the 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 world that then you believe the story that's being told, that you understand because it's uh, embraced by this bigger palette that he's created.
0: Yeah,
1: around those relationships, you know, that's what's so beautiful about the film. That even in a multiple screen image, you can look at the film another time and pick up other elements of it you know it's
0: it's so rich yeah i, I absolutely love how, how how deep the imagery goes with so many things going on on the screen it's amazing yeah. uh, well one last question before i let you go of course this documentary really dives into the artistic influences uh, for each of the members of the band uh, what made them the artists that they are so i'd love to pose a similar question to you uh, what were the strongest artistic influences on you when you were younger are you able to point to some of the things that made you the artist you are today
1: well I, I look I studied art history you know I was uh in art school and and I I, I think the the German dadas and the uh, uh the, they were an influence on me and the German expressionism of how they they understood the world that they were around and wanted to be uh in opposition with, and they, so they could paint in these vibrant colors and ways of showing kind of the grotesqueness of life, the way they felt their world was disintegrating. And then photographically, Robert Frank was probably the biggest influence on me, that he could imbue in a subjective image a poetics, that, that you could project your own kind of uh, f- I feeling in an image, in, in an in a found image. You know that's why I love the Dadaists and uh, Duchamp. And so, I, but Robert Frank and I became friends with Robert later in life, and he was always the greatest influence for me.
0: Awesome. Well, Ed, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the work on this film and all of your films. Oh, Always look forward to your projects. Thank you again. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with the cinematographer for The Velvet Underground, Ed Lockman, here on the next Best Picture podcast. The Velvet Underground is currently streaming on Apple TV Plus and is playing in limited release in theaters.